This episode is sponsored by our friends at Musicbed. Find the perfect song for your films with a highly curated roster featuring hundreds of artists, bands, and composers. As a good listener, you can get your first month of subscription free or 20% off a single song purchase. Just enter promo code GOOD when you check out. This episode of Good is also brought to you by Plot Devices. Plot Devices makes notebooks for writers and directors that help the filmmaking process be a little bit easier. Learn more at plotdevices.co. That's plotdevices.co. And get 20% off your first order with code GOOD20 at checkout. Also this season, we're continuing to give away a ton of content over at Patreon, sharing treatments, behind-the-scenes photos, and ways to interact with our guests from each episode. To become a patron, check out patreon.com slash goodthepodcast. Hey guys, my name's Christian Schultz, and this is Good. I wanted to give a quick update to this week's giveaway. It was very successful. I want to say thank you to anybody who reached out and commented and um, tagged a friend of yours uh, to the post. I think it was great for us. It was great for plot devices. And we get to give stuff away right now. So um, for the person who will win this past week's um, Story Clock Bundle giveaway is a man named... Miles Shank. So, Miles, we've already talked through email. Uh, congratulations, buddy. Hope you enjoy. So, if you're like a little jealous of Miles and all of his new stuff, we have a thing going on this week, which is the same exact giveaway, uh, but for a, another product by Plot Devices called the Storyboard Workbook. Same idea as the Story Clock. Same fabrication, same great design, uh, but with uh, a different sort of application. And this one's pure storyboard, trying to give you a hand on some production stuff. And I use this um, myself as well. I promise I wouldn't say if I didn't mean it. I use it. It's right here above me. It's sitting on my, uh, my bookshelf. This week, I wanted to give you guys something that we haven't done before. Um, this is our first week, our first episode ever doing a co-director interview uh, with the Winston and Aaron Tao, who are brothers and who both sort of started filmmaking around the same time and thought, you know, what the heck, let's do this together. And they're making some really interesting stuff right now. And I had the pleasure of talking to them, and they're as cool as their name sounds. So one thing to mention is that they do go by um, sort of a pseudonym called Twin Tayers. So please check them out on Instagram or on their website and watch their stuff and, um, and then dive into this interview. So... Here is my interview with Aaron and Winston Tao. Tao, Aaron Tao. Okay. Tao. Some people say Dao, but uh, but yeah, I, we say Tao. And Tao mean is like I've heard that word before. Is that like a very significant last name? Uh, for yeah, for Chinese like, um, 
it's it's very common like tao and then Wu. um that's that's like our mom's like last name right so those are all very yeah common for for um for chinese people i guess <laughs> though winston isn't for yeah. a chinese name <laughs> yeah winston winston's like super random yeah aaron and winston oh, are kind of both just like general american names i'd, I'd say you yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you guys, Which, uh, where did you guys grow up? Were you born in, in America or were you born somewhere else? We were, yeah, we were born, we were born here. Cool. So we're first generation. We were born in La Mirada. Um, uh, so it's like kind of like in between LA and, uh, Orange County. Like, um, okay. so we grew up in Orange County, kind of around that area. Um, but yeah, we were, we were born here. Our parents are from, um, they say that that were Taiwanese, but really they they were born in mainland China and then immigrated to to Taiwan, um, which is, I, I guess is very common for a lot of Taiwanese people. Um, but so yeah, this is kind of interesting because we've never had um, like co-directors on the show. I don't believe we we've had a couple kind of fall through, but this is actually the first sort of co-director uh, episode that we'll we'll ever have. So I do have like no way. Uh, a bunch of like nice. questions that I've always wanted to ask uh, co-directors <laughs> because it is such an interesting, you know, perspective on not just commercials but narrative stuff and and how you approach different aspects of stuff. So I want to dive into that. But before we get into that, I, w- I just want to hear how did you guys both decide that you wanted to do film? Was it at the same time? Was it, you know, did someone come in later? How did you guys both end up here? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I, for, for me, uh, I think I, I did first, like this is, uh, Winston. Um, so I, we both, we both kind of dabbled in it at the same time, but I ended up pursuing it more from a directing route. Mm -hmm. And then Aaron kind of took a break and went to seminary and then, uh, and then joined up again after, and then he went to school after I had gone to school. So it was kind of like this joint, like off and on thing. Um, but it wasn't until like the, like, I think we'd probably agree on like around two years ago that we actually started, um, really doing it together. Right. Um, based off of the different aspects of filmmaking that we both learned, um, Aaron more so like in screenwriting and uh, cinematography and then me, more in like story development and directing. Um, and then we just kind of put our heads together and now we both like literally just split everything right down the middle. Um, but I would say, unless, unless I'm, I'm wrong in that Aaron, but, um, that's kind of, (laughs) no, that's, that's yeah, that's basically, yeah, I was, I was a little, I would say I was a little late to the show. I think I, and, and I think the idea of film was always more interesting to me than actually putting the work in, in the beginning. So I, I saw Winston doing everything. I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then I'd be on set with him and, um, just kind of just be hanging out. And I didn't really start, um, putting in my own work until, yeah, like two years later, I think. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting. Even, even on the stuff you guys do now, you know, how much are you guys now using cinematographers, uh, you know, uh, where you guys are kind of both directing it as opposed to one of you is shooting, one of you is kind of directing on set. Is that still happening or is it pretty rare now? 
Yeah, it still happens. And it just mainly depends on the project. Um, so like we just shot one that we did that, that I shot and then Winston directed. And then, and then another one that we did right after that, where we brought Jared on, we frequently collaborate with Jared a lot. Um, Fidel is a cinematographer. So, um, it depends on, it depends on the, the, the project, but, um, we still, we, we love shooting ourselves also. And we're always, I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, you know, you shoot your own stuff as well. And, um, right. and, uh, you know, depending on, you know, the certain project, we just, we, we like having the ability to kind of just have, have options and choices. Winston, do you have an, kind of an, an idea of like, you know, kind of going off of what Aaron just said, do you, when you see a project, do you guys see the, like the way, like the approach of the production first, as opposed to, you know, um, sort of the, the script or the even diving into like characters and stuff. Do you guys kind of, you seem to me like you guys work really intimately in like very small crew. And that's just my perception, obviously. But um, what do you, it seems like it's very intentional yeah. that the story kind of dictate the production. And so how do you guys approach that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's uh, it really does for us come down to, like the story, like we, we, uh, we've realized that we, we think pretty narratively and, and it's actually something that we're kind of interested in and have been practicing on, on, um, doing some, some other smaller projects like that stretch us more visually and more abstractly and, and just our voice and, and how we might come across, um, doing a film. But for the most part, I think me more so than Aaron, like, we think very, very, um, um, structurally. Mm. So that really does help like dictate, um, like as far as how that the story is going to be executed, like how that's going to happen. I think for us, like even when, when I was in school, like I'd kind of noticed like a lot of the students like would start, it, it was, it was always a challenge because you'd want to do like the, the next cool thing you know, right. like the next cool project and you're pressured because everybody else is doing the same thing. So you have like a student film and you want to do like this huge, big budget, like sci-fi thing right. that you have no money to do, but like everybody's doing it because like, that's just the thing to do. And for me, I, I, I don't know if it was because I was just a little older at the time, but I kind of wasn't really interested in that. Like I, I, I was at first, but then I just kind of I, I would kind of look at the films that were that that just had something to say, and for some reason, maybe because I was older, I was like twenty six or twenty seven when I was going to film school. I just was more interested in that. I felt like film was was kind of therapeutic in a sense, right? Um, and it was a lot of times I noticed that it was just a lot of the smaller films, smaller in the sense of like it was either a familial thing or as a very relational thing but the conflict was very primal in, in the relational aspect of things. And for some reason that really intrigued me. And at that moment it was like, well, you don't need a huge budget to do right. something like this. Like you just need to have a, a sense of like who, like what you want to say, you know, and, and, and who these people are to you and how they represent like your voice and stuff. So that kind of just carried with us for like, I, I think everything that we started doing and that really helped translate into the nonprofit space when we started going into that route for a little bit 
in the sense of like, you have these companies that come to you that want like a story or a narrative or something, but they don't have a lot of money. So for us, the automatic like go-to mentally was like, okay, well, we can still tell like a primal conflict right. um, between two characters um, with no budget, you know, because right. it's kind of like how we've kind of mentally progressed in our, in our filmmaking so far. So um, yeah. And then that helps to with, with crew knowing that you don't need, you don't need a ton of stuff. Right. Like we just shot this thing that Aaron was mentioning um, this kind of passion project that we did in Utah where, where we met up with Jared Fidel and, and we really didn't have any budget at all for this, um, but we were pretty excited with what we were able to get. And we just kept it, you know, very primal between a personal experience that we had with our own father, like a few months ago. Um, and yeah, I think it's cool. Cause then you can keep stretching yourself with um, story wise and, and not, not really concerned about, about all the, the big, the big, uh, you know, fun toys, you know, <laughs> um, it's always nice to get those things, but that's not the world we live in. So, Maybe uh, let's talk about the thing that you guys just shot. Where did, did that kind of start with sort of just knowing you guys wanted to work with Jared again? Or was it a script that you already had? How did it come to be? Yeah, well, I guess... There's quite a few things because we 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 know we needed to um, expand our commercial reel. So there was always certain ideas we were bouncing around for that, and and um, the idea itself though came came about pretty organically. Our dad um, had been there was a, there was a conversation we had with our father when he took us out to lunch, and our dad never opens up about anything, and. Um, he uh he basically started talking about um retiring and and how it made him feel and um he just felt like he was like super scared to enter into this new season and for us it kind of felt like the first time just seeing our father open up it just really hit us and there was something we felt like there was something there like this little just kind of moment this little snippet in life and um so we just uh took that and and kind of just kind of just developed that into a into a into a project so um but but yeah and then we just realized you know how can we how can we put this into a um into a way where we can just continue to develop our commercial reel tell tell film or tell stories in a shorter uh time span and uh just keep growing and adding to our body of work so that's that's sort of you guys are fairly, it's interesting because you guys have so much work but you guys are actually fairly new to at least the commercial world correct yeah how is it um how has it been, how has it been so far <laughs> well that's actually why we we uh felt like we we needed to do something like this mm-hmm. um because uh for us commercially it's we're, we're, we're finding out that with our specific, um, with our specific style, Mm -hmm. it, it, uh, it doesn't translate entirely too well when clients, um, see kids like getting sex trafficked or just women (laughs) in general, you know, because they're like, they want to see their product getting sold. They don't want to see all this other stuff. So, and, and you know how it is, Christian, it's like, it's, 
when, when a client sees something, they're like, oh, it's great, but can they do this? Like, they're not convinced that they can do it unless right. they actually see it. Which is very Whereas frustrating. We all know that sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's super frustrating. It's, yeah. So that's why we were like, well, if, if we want to be able to, to show that we can do kind of something on a, on a client-based level that appeases like their palate in a, in a, in a sense, right. then, then we can do that, you know, but, but nobody's really going to, going to give you the time of day unless you show them yourself. And that's something that we're just kind of, you know, finding out not only in like the commercial space, but just like in film in general. Right. Um, so I don't, I think that there's always going to be, you know, and we're chatting about that the other day, like a rat race in that, in that sense uh, where you're always going to have to prove to, somebody in some form in the industry that you can do something if they haven't seen it, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's just kind of how that went. Yeah. And it's always yeah. interesting how like it, it is very like if, if you have not shot a bottle, you know, like in a studio life, yeah. you're not going to get that commercial. It's so interesting yeah. to me that most people can't connect one and one equals two, you know? Yeah. Um, right. Which is unfortunate, but it is part of it. I guess it's, it is sort of a, I, I call it humbling. It's just humbling. Like a, <laughs> whenever yeah. you like, you'll win yeah. like two things in a row, you'll win, you'll lose six things in a row. It doesn't, it never oh, really, yeah. you know, it never really like, you can't really figure it out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It might be, it might be too, because they, maybe it's like their, their mentality of like, the fact that they don't understand that process. Right. And like, you know, for us as directors, what, like we know the team that we would need in order to make that specific project come to life right. or the research that we would need to do, but they have no idea where to start or where to begin. So to them, it's like, Oh, just cause they did this doesn't mean that they can do this. You know, I, that's what I imagine, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been, it's been different, um, with every, every job. I mean, uh, I think that Leah has been really helpful. There's this really short film that we did. Her name is Leah and kind of just goes into the, the world of this, um, uh, of this woman who's about to have a baby. And I think, I think the, the way that it was shot, um, just a montage of things that, um, as this woman is growing up, as this girl grows up and goes through adulthood, basically, um, I think that has resonated with quite a few, um, people. Was that a um, passion project? Is that something you guys just did? Man, no, that was, we, one of our best friends, um, when I, when I, I went to a Bible college actually. And, and, uh, one of my best friends, he was like a mentor and a brother to us. He, he, um, he started this organization, um, called project life. And he wanted to do this film that highlighted like the beauty of life and, and everything. And, and so he asked us to do it. And then, um, long story short, he, he ended up getting brain cancer. He passed away. Oh wow! Um, and he passed away before he finished the film. So hmm. we, we, um, a, a year or two years later, we ended up getting a call from his wife and she said, Hey, that thing that Brent was talking about, we want you guys to finish it. And so we were like, yeah, we were all in. And, and so we just, our main goal for that one is just to highlight just the beauty of life as much as we could, because that was his vision. And um, so we did it. And uh, it's, it, to this day, it's been the most powerful film we, that we've ever done. We sat down when it was finished and we screened it with his whole family, his mom, his dad, his wife, 
And uh, we just all sat there. And when it was finished, like nobody could say anything just because right. it was just so personal. And so, right. um, and that Brent could never see it. But um, so I guess in one sense, it was a passion project, but uh, it was funded through, it was funded through one of uh, Brent's wife's, she found right. some funder for it, but. But very personal for sure. Yeah. 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 Really personal. So I, I think, but I think, I mean, the way that it was filmed and just the, the montage aspect of it, I think for commercials that, um, and it's, it's a little bit more, I guess, hopeful in a sense, um, in, in contrast to our other pieces of work. Uh, I think that's really right. resonating with people, but at the end of the day, you know, it's like, sometimes you hear, sometimes you don't, uh, you don't really know. Um, and uh, the, the biggest feedback is we just need we just need a stronger body of work in, in the commercial space. I don't know, I don't know what exactly. I think sometimes you, I feel like sometimes you hear what what they register or resonate with, like the client or the agency or something. Right. But a lot of times, like I don't know, I don't know if you do. And then sometimes, like they end up giving you a you know, your company like gives you like a, a board or something or, or something to pitch on. And you're like, how, yeah. <laughs> what in the world did I see on my reel that like makes, why does this client want us to like do a commercial for them? I mean, it's great because you have, you know, an opportunity for work, but you're like, what in the world are they watching? Right. I don't right. understand. And I think the thing that we're learning, the biggest thing that we're learning is, because we're not really, I don't feel like in a place where we can just turn down anything and be entirely picky you right. know, with like some of our friends. I think they're at that, that place right now, which is, which is nice, but, but we don't really feel like we're there yet. So we're just learning really to, it's like, even when you get a, a board that might be just so bizarre, just how do you take it and sit with it? And how do you actually, if, if they're coming to you, they're seeing something that they like specifically from you. So what are they seeing? How do you hone in on that? And how do I, interpret that back into the board, right. you know? Um, so as long as like, if we do the project, we can at least go in there knowing that, that it's still our style or still our voice that we're trying to infuse within this spot instead of something entirely like different that we just don't even want to do. Cause otherwise it just becomes miserable for us. You know? Right. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we're learning when it comes to, um, when it comes to that aspect of it. Right. But whenever you guys sort of get those initial boards, do you do you sort of have like a like a general respect for like what they've brought? Or do you guys sort of see it and be like, oh no, they should have done this and then actually transition like and pitch that sort of do you guys change <laughs> things pretty hard or do you guys try to sort of ride that line? You know, I think that Yeah. <laughs> I think once we understand, because sometimes like they'll come in and it's kind of um, the idea, like the idea is there, but it's kind of like all over the place. So right. I think uh, once we find out like what they're really trying to say, um, then I think that helps make things a lot more clear. Because we, I mean, we've spent like a day, two days, just coming up with our own concepts, ideas, and then and then we'll tell society and then they'll be like, Oh, here, here's what's really important. Here's what they're trying to say. Right. We're like, Oh, how do we miss that? And so now when that thing comes in, it's like, Oh, it's about this. Okay. Um, then, then our brains start thinking, well, how can we help them, you know, with what we do basically and bring their idea to life? Cause what are they really trying to say? What are they, what are they really trying to do? What's what, cause they might be, um, 
focused on a point that we might not have even, you know, we obviously right. didn't even think about. Right. Um, so I think it's a process, man. And it's probably the same thing with you as well. Like, you know, it's, it's different every single time. And I, you know, we've tried to come up with like formulas and try to come up with like, okay, so we're, this works, so we're going to do this next time. But then it just is so out of left field that it's like, Oh, right. I think it also seems like it, uh, it, it seems like we, like we'll try to get a pulse on, on, uh, how far we're allowed to push it, right. you know, yeah. in the calls and stuff. And I'm sure you do that too, but, um, it's like, sometimes you, you get a sense that the, the client or the agency has, has put in mainly the agency has put in a lot more work, like with the thought and stuff and that they are a little bit more married to the concept of it in, in itself. And sometimes they're just completely open. And right. I think every once in a while in a blue moon, they're like, Oh, we fully trust you guys. If you guys want to do this entirely different, like feel free to do that. Right. And that's, that, that's amazing. But sometimes that can be harder in itself too. But right. yeah, I think we just try to get a pulse on it. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's generally why you have two calls, you know, like you have your kind of initial sort of discovery right. call and that's where you kind of gauge, you know, you start poking at their creative and saying, what do you, do you guys like this or can we change this? And very quickly you'll, you'll figure out like how tight someone's going to, how tight someone's holding on to their creative, you know, right. I think. Right. And, and those people exist and sometimes those people are amazing, you know? Yeah. I think there's a, a general thinking a lot of times where like, um, you know, someone who has like the best creative is going to be the, the tightest, you know, holder of it. But sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes someone's like, you know, I'm pitching on something right now that's like high, high concept and like, yeah. like very, yeah. very fine tuned, scripted, like beat almost second for second kind of thing. But on oh. the call, they're like, yeah, yeah, what do you want to do with it? Like, what do you want to change? And all this? I'm like, dude, this is so good. I don't want to do anything to it, you know? Um, but yeah, it is sort of, you know, you, you you definitely have to get on the phone at some point. And I think that's really why those things exist, especially for commercials. Cause yeah, you know that, I mean, it does beg the question of like, do you guys think that agencies, like the whole agent, like the client agency, production company director model is going to exist for the next hundred years? Or do you guys see it? Do you guys see something changing in between there? Uh, yeah, that's really interesting because there, you can, I feel like you can kind of already see some stuff changing, which is within the digital space. Right. Uh, you know, you have, you have different, um, like, I don't know what you call them. Like, online digital content agencies now like tongle and and you know uh, different things like right. that kind of stepping in um and so that's been kind of interesting to see how that's started to 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 affect um the uh the principal model of like a, a digital uh, of an agency client relationship how it's you know structured now i don't think it's fully there yet where it has been fully affecting things other than seeing the budgets go substantially lower right. as opposed to like years ago, you know, um, just now in general, like when people under, like just understand that they can get things for cheaper. Right. Um, yeah. but as far as like getting, I, I, th I think clients are smart enough to where they still understand. Like if you go to Tongle, you're not going to get premium content right. as opposed to going to like Academy or reset or, you know, anywhere else. So I don't think that's really going to change. I, I, I think, 
I think it's just how the structure of things, how maybe it might operate and how things like, and how these like agencies and production companies like adapt. Like, I think we're going to start seeing how that changes and gets affected, but I, I don't, I don't know entirely if those, but, if those are going to go away. But I would say but, though, in some, in some sense, it kind of has like uh, with different production company, I mean, really functioning as an agency in one as well. So like right. cutting out like the middleman, you know, uh, yeah. it's, I think it's in some other countries, it's a little more prominent. France is, is up there as well, but, um, but, but yeah, just kind of cutting out the production company altogether and then just functioning as like, Oh, well, we'll just do both. And then I think cause we would, we would all sort of like the perfect situation would be that a client or a product or something would come directly to me right. and say, what creative should we do? Right. 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 Cause we're making a film, right. you know, we're not making marketing. Yeah. You know, marketing is just th- like the medium that people are receiving the marketing is through film. So it makes sense to me that it would be changing a little bit to that direct to filmmaker sort of mentality, right? Right. Yeah, it would. Um, yeah. That's, I yeah. mean, that's what I would assume also. Yeah. Yeah. We've had interesting conversations because we have we've had a couple client direct um, client direct jobs. Right. And uh, what we have noticed is that there is also somewhat of a shift to, and, and I think this is un. It's unintentional, uh, mainly because the, I, I feel like the client direct, at least in our space that we've been working with, are more of a lower budget tier. Um, right. Sure. So just the concept of even working with an agency really isn't even viable for them. But um, the conversations, a lot of the conversations regarding distribution or marketing actually uh, is directed quite a bit towards us. So then we feel out of our wheelhouse a little bit, um, just as far as like, oh, well, you know, we're, we are here just to make a film <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, how can we make the best film? Cause this is going to, how it's going to reach the most audience. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Definitely. Right. When one is cut out. Where do you guys want to like eventually end up? Like, what do you guys eventually want to end up doing? Is it narrative? Is it, is it just kind of making a living or is it, do you guys have sort of, Kind of big aspirations that you guys want to hit? Yes. I mean, definitely narrative, staying in the narrative space, um, features and TV is, yeah. is where we want to be. Um, but we also have enjo- really enjoyed the commercial space too. Like making a living doing commercials is, um, we can totally see that as a, in just an awesome future. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the yeah. turnaround is much shorter, you know, getting for me, getting time to spend with my wife too. And, um, I don't know. It, it definitely has opened up our eyes um, as to okay, you know, this could be a viable uh, option. So it's right. been interesting. We and we didn't we didn't actually want to do commercials at all. We we tried. I think it was like three or four years trying to get um, just working yeah. as much as we could in, in the feature arena and writing scripts and doing that whole thing. And um, it's it, you know it's very challenging. Um, yeah. And then we're like, oh shoot, we need to eat food. <laughs> we need to like, we need to like pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so then, yeah, yeah, the commercial thing kind of just came as a. It was like a, I don't know, some random afterthought. And then right. once we were started doing it more, we're like, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's actually a really cool thing too. Like, I, I, it's it's something I wish 
that my, my school would have had like a separate kind of course for, or like, um, uh, yeah. Or just even like educated, like us as filmmakers, um, is a commercial, like we were kind of looked down on it, you know, when we were in film school, like, Oh, like that wasn't like real filmmaking or something. But once you're in it, you, you realize like it's, it's, it's an amazing space to be able to, to continue to create content and push yourself and try new right. things and get better as a filmmaker. And it's incredibly satisfying, especially if you can um, do something where you feel like you're still infusing a little bit of yourself into the project. Um, so that's kind of just been like our trajectory now is like living in the commercial space, getting our feet like off the ground in that, and then making that transition over to, uh, to features and stuff, um, which, which uh, that's been, yeah, it's been going pretty good, so. This musical break is brought to you by Musicbed. This episode is also brought to you by Plot Devices. Founded in 2017 by filmmaker Seth Worley, Plot Devices makes tools that help writers and directors develop their stories. Like the Storyboard Notebook. The Storyboard Notebook is made to sketch out your shot ideas so you can arrive on set ready to work. There's no skill required, just vision. Every 16 by nine border has labels to help you stay organized, checkboxes to indicate how the camera will be mounted, and a description field to make sense of your stick figures. Simply draw, notate, and repeat. Because if you can draw a stick figure, you can plan a shot list. I personally use the storyboard notebook, and yes, every frame is a stick figure. Learn more about the storyboard notebook at plotdevices.co. That's plotdevices.co. And get 20% off your first order with the code GOOD20 at checkout. Now, let's get back to the show. Do you guys, so you guys both went to film school. Do you, do you guys have a sort of opinion on it at this point, kind of being removed from it a couple years now? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think film school is one of those things that I would absolutely recommend to any anybody and everybody who, who, who just need an environment to be pushed in. And, um, they, they like being surrounded by peers and by professors and learning and that type of a setting. But if you're like a self-starter, if you're like a person that like just wants to go out and and you do go out and just do stuff on your own, like, I I don't think film school really is, is necessary other than in context. I think, 
that is one of the biggest things that you walk away with, depending on which school you go to. For, for me at Chapman, I, I recommend it to everybody that's interested in a film school or wants to learn in that setting because from the first weekend I got there, they already had me on set. Right. So they had us on set practically every single weekend, specifically just to get your feet wet in every department. So sometimes if you went in there thinking that you wanted to be a director and then you just end up doing sound and loving right. sound, you know, a lot of people transitioned into that. So it was a cool environment just to, to learn and grow and fail. And, um, but, um, you know, I, I think if you're the type of person that, that doesn't really, yeah, that's just like a self-starter, like what I was saying earlier, I, I just, I don't see film school really being that beneficial. Um, but I don't know how, how Aaron felt about UCLA though. <laughs> no, I'm, I would say the same thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I went to UCLA their extension program. So, and I and I did that later. So, I did screenwriting and cinematography there. But, um, but yeah. So the people that were in the extension program were generally older. They were already working, so they were trying to you know cram in school in their free time. So they were already pretty um, self initiated, I guess, and and had that drive. Um, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can learn a lot of stuff out there on your own. Right. Um, so, you know, at, at that point, it just becomes, yeah, contacts and, and just, you know, picking up little things here and there and just, just doing the work is, is the biggest thing. Right. Well, so kind of knowing what you got in film school, if you hadn't gone to film school, but you wanted to recreate those experiences, what are some ways that some people could do that? Yeah, I, th I think getting on set is is definitely a big thing. I think when you're first starting out, like if you're first starting out, there's no, there is really no excuse to not be able to, to go out and just shoot something with your friends. You know, I think it just comes down to like somebody being disciplined enough to actually do right. that. But there does come a cap, I think, like where film is like one of those really interesting things where it's like if you want to keep getting better in that form of, of art, like the art that we all do, it, it is like one of the only art forms I feel like where you do need other right. people. Like, you know, it's a very collaborative setting and environment. Um, and if you want to keep pushing yourself, there are certain things that you can try just like on your own, just with like a DSLR that you can definitely do. Um, but there's also certain things that sometimes you do need the proper equipment or sometimes you do need the proper knowledge to do it and, and just to try it. And at that point, I think getting on set is really the best school that you can have. Um, and out here, like in LA, there's amazing opportunities for people that are out here that don't really know how to get started. Like we, we ended up um, going through a program with uh, Mole Richardson, the, the lighting mm -hmm. company, um, and being able to be on their roster for like basically like G&E and uh, for, for about a year and a half or so. And that was one of the best learning experiences that we've had because they would just call us in whenever right. they'd have classes and they'd have to light for the classes and we would basically light yeah. for them. And if we did a good, if you did a good job, they would put you on their, their uh, initial contact list for the ASC master classes. So if you freaking had like um, Rodrigo Prieto come in and we would get called to like, basically be his grip, his right. G&E, and he would, we'd light for him. It was insane. Hmm. Um, and Larry Fong and, and these 
amazing cinematographers. So at that point, like we learned so much in such a short amount of time because um, just the knowledge that you were getting from these guys. And that's what helped us, you know, branch off and just do shoot our own stuff like after that. Um, and then we also like got into like AFI, like Aaron found out like AFI had like, um, they'll post stuff like all the time, like on their sets where they just need help and you don't have to be in film school to help. Right. Them. Um, you just have to have a good attitude. So at that point, like we, we have a lot of good friends now from, from AFI that we just hopped on their sets and we're just G and E just to learn, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, I th there's so many different opportunities out there. It's just a matter of like plugging yourself in and then, um, kind of forcing yourself just to go and do it, you know? How do you guys like actively refine your taste in film? I mean, I, that's a good question. That's a good question. There's a lot of really good guys think, out there. <laughs> yeah. For us, we actually started getting off Instagram and Vimeo. Okay. And it was, it was off this last project that we did, um, or a couple projects um, that we did with Andy Catarasano. Yeah. Um, and we, we, Andy's from New York. We right? started realizing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's yeah. awesome. Yeah. One of the funnest experiences like we've ever had, like doing a project um, together. So, but he's, he's awesome. And, and he, um, we kind of like went into that project together um, where he really pushed us to, uh, to his credit on just like continuing to find like our own like mm -hmm. voice um, in the sense of like, what, what are we actually trying to say? Um, and I think in this day and age, it is easy to go on like Instagram and stuff. And, and I think there's a difference between studying like what Aaron was saying, um, where you're, you're kind of studying and, and breaking down how certain people do certain right. things. And then there's kind of like an inclination. I think, um, when you see people put out good work to like, just copy them, you know, and it, it might not necessarily, uh, play into like what you're trying to say, like with the actual piece, but you just want to have like a beautiful image yourself. So you're just copying them. And I think for us, like in refining like our own like voice and stuff, like what you were kind of asking, I think we were just kind of realizing like we, we want like the stories that we want to tell, we just want to be able to continue to make them super personal hmm. to us. Um, and to, to, to really dig deep in like what, we're actually trying to do with the piece. And that, that kind of actually meant us getting off of Instagram right. and off of Vimeo for a bit. And for the piece that we did with Andy, which we were really, really happy with, we just completely, um, we, I don't think we had a single reference off of, off of anything. Um, we went straight off of like, um, we felt like it called for like a filmmaking style um, with like, uh, Detroit. And so we studied that with like Catherine Bigelow and like, um, the Hurt Locker and how she kind of covers scenes and different things like that. And it was a really like, um, revitalizing like experience, I think for, for both of us. Um, and so we started, or Aaron actually started writing a lot more. Like we both started like honing in more on like just the different stories that we want to tell. And I think that, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean always like in the imagery, I, I think, but it means more in in the 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 um, 
I don't know if you call it structure of filmmaking in, in general. The maybe but, theory might um, be a good word. Yeah, maybe the theory of it. Yeah. yeah, the theory of it, I think. And that can be really refreshing because then you, you start discovering things, you know, on your own right. again, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think working on our own voice has been the, the biggest, the biggest thing for us. Um, and, and trying to really, really, really hone what that means, paying attention to little things. Um, so, cause yeah, like Winston was saying, like there came a point too, like where the studying stopped and then it's like all the comparing and all the depression and all the, you know, right. I'm not good enough. And, and it's just, you're wasting so much time. And we had, since we stumbled into the commercial space, like we, initially we were writing, like we were writing every single day, two to three hours a day, just writing, writing, writing as much as we could. Right. And then we just stopped because now we're looking at all these beautiful images and, oh, this guy came out with this thing. This guy came out with that thing. And it got to a point where we weren't just being productive at all. And uh, so mm -hmm. now, I mean, we're still on it, but it's very, 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 I mean, I literally have on my phone uh, like 15 minutes a day on, uh, and, and then once the time limit's off, I can't change the password. So my wife has that. Right. <laughs> it's, it got too consuming. So it's like, uh, and that's really helped, you know, it's, um, and, and now, you know, for me personally, like I'm back to writing, like writing every single day. Um, trying to, I spend like half, I mean, personally, I guess, in, in trying to develop my own voice is spending half an hour every single morning journaling, which has really helped. So like, right. uh, I journal like one thought, um, that I've had the day before. So like anything that kind of stuck out to me, um, and then my feelings about that thought and then any ideas, um, that might come about from just spending a little bit of time reflecting on that. So just trying to really focus on just tapping in as much as I can to my right. own voice, which is very helpful. Right. I think it's interesting what you guys are saying about, it's almost like you're protecting what you're seeing, obviously, like what you're actually intaking on a daily basis is, is important to you. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a great way to like continue building your taste is like protecting what you see, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the older that you get or that we get in general, it's just the more that I come to realize that filmmaking, it's like the art itself is, is I mean, how you're really going to grow is really just mastery over yourself and like your time and like your disciplines and where you're right. spending it, what you're looking at, what you're consuming. And that takes more work than the craft itself, honestly. Right. Like It takes more work to be, to discipline yourself and to say, this is what I'm going to study. This is how going to be influenced by this is what i'm going to learn this is how i'm going right. to put these certain plans into action this is how i'm going to get to my next goal like all that stuff is like so much it's it's so valuable and it's right it'll it'll cause you to grow like, i think it's, it's also interesting like when the people that i love you know the ptas and the guillermo del toros or aronofsky's or like the greats are like if you ever hear them talk about something, they, they're always just referencing film just in life. Yeah. You know, like they can't help yeah. but just um, exude encyclopedia knowledge of film because they're obsessed with it, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, that's so, right. and they make the best work, yeah. you know? And there's some, there's an interesting correlation yeah. between just like that sort of 
pure obsession of something, you know, that's why I'm, yeah. I'm just, I hope that I, you know, the commercial side and is, is so good because it is sort of a new thing and you can make a living, a really great living off of it. But I, I, at least for myself, I'm like, I hope that it doesn't sort of taint my love in some way over yeah. the course of five or 10 yeah. years. And I'm like, you know, fuck film or like, I'm going to play <laughs> music or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think one thing I wanted to ask you, Aaron, was yeah. you, you went to seminary, correct? Um, yeah. I think something interesting, just in the, the people that I know, even like someone like a Jared Hogan or something, you know, do you find that your film like your filmmaking is sort of contrary to your religion, like upbringing, or do you feel like it's, you're trying to bring it into it? No. Yeah, not at all. I, yeah, that's, and that's something I definitely wrestled with early on in the beginning. I, I like audiences and it's interesting. Cause like I read this book actually that really radically changed my perspective. It was called reviewing the movies by Edwin Fraser and Vernon Edwin Neal. And they talk about, film in the um in the context of you know a christian worldview and how um audiences resonate with two things mainly truth and excellence is what is is what is being said is there some element of truth in it and is it being done excellently and when you look at film as a whole like i mean the ones that we most resonate with ourselves and i'm sure if you look at the ones that you resonate with like the messages in and of themselves like there's something there that grabbed you and it's like oh man there's truth in that there's elements of truth is it a faith-based film absolutely not but there's elements of truth to it so in in essence that that i mean and when we, when we i mean for me as a christian like i believe that god is truth and that if god's truth then there's truth in everything like that we that he's created you know he's in all he's through all and um, so there's truth there to be mined and there's truth there to be said. And whether it's not, whether or not it's something that you agree with or not, there's still truth in there, you know? So, and it makes you think And some of the, some of the films that I love the most, um, like Gone Baby Gone, for example, like that's one of the most powerful films to me that's really, I, I sat there for a long time just thinking about the message. Like, is that wrong? Is that right? Like, what would, what would I do in that certain situation um, and, or crash, you know, for example, like, um, how we function in this world is that, are those the thoughts that run through my head? Um, you know, just different, different things that really make us think. Um, I feel like that when I started understanding that and wrapping my head around that, um, I really started to, to see, um, just that in general, uh, film can be used as a medium to just, you know, um, exemplify truth. And that truth is, is, can can be you know in a lot of different can be portrayed in a lot of different ways so i was just gonna add like you also like look at like um i think denzel washington did did a really beautiful job with that like um where he talks about it a little bit like in, when he did training day because originally his character was supposed to live right um and when fuqua like approached him to do it like he he was he was supposed to to get away like and he was supposed to live and and denzel was like i'm not the only reason why I'm going to do this film is because like I want to instill within people when they're watching this, that like, you can't live this life and get away with it. Like, that's mm. not, that's like, what kind of a message are we like instilling within like this younger generation? You know, if, if we do that, like he's, he's going to have to die. Like I will commit like everything that I can 
into this role, but like he has right. to die. And they literally changed the script um, just to, con- to convey that because there's such a strong conviction. The funny thing for us is like, it's, it's really, what we feel is like, when we see like, like, uh, like films that like resemble like our faith, like Christian films, if you will, those are some of the most, uh, a lot of times, I think they're getting a little better now, but a lot of times those are some of the most untruthful yeah. films yeah. out there. Like, like they, they, per, what they portray is like somebody who might not be of, of like a Christian faith. Right. And these people might be like your typical, like alcoholics, right. drug dealers, wife beaters, whatever they might be, or just, you know, and, and then all of a sudden they accept like, you know, right. Christ as their Lord and savior. And, that, and then now everything yeah. is fine. Right. <laughs> everything yeah. is perfectly fine. Well, that's not actually true. Like, like we've grown up in a situation where, yeah, we're Christians and stuff, but our life isn't fine. Like, we grew up with a schizophrenic mother who, who, you know, had multiple suicide attempts and it was very traumatic. And still to this day, she's, she, she needs, she needs help and it's not getting any better, you know, and we're constantly in this, this thing with her where we're having to take care of her and stuff. And it, it kind of messes with your head a little bit, you know, especially if you're brought up in a world where you, where you're, where you're told that God can, can heal her from that and he hasn't done it. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not, for us, we're, we are more interested in like, okay, well, how does a Christian like deal with some of these traumatic events and still like, and still a positive message of hope in there and still hold on to their faith as opposed to like giving messages where like everything is okay. Cause that's not, that's not true. And that's not right. the case. It's, that's kind of absurd. Yeah. I think I had, sense, I had asked this question to, to Solomon actually maybe like four or five years ago when I first met him. But he said something really interesting right. where he was like, he said, what's on the inside will come out, whether that's, yeah. um, you know, so it's going to come out as belief in God or it's going to come out as confusion with God or it's going to, you know, the only way to make a, a true Christian film that's being made today is to, it's to make something not true, exactly what you said earlier. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's this yeah. like performance of right. reality as opposed to you know, the truth. I also brought this up a little bit because I, I saw a movie last night and there was a preview for, I, I can't even remember the name, but it was just, it made me, I had to walk out of the preview because yeah. it was just this, oh, like, really? exactly what you said, like, you know, their their son had some disease and then he died and then she was there and prayed for him and then he came back to life and then you know like just this oh yeah yeah almost yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's just gross it's like a gross salesman pitch of like of reality you know you guys are kind of riding that line maybe or is it intentional or are you guys just trying to just make something truthful from inside you and then hopefully that communicates something you know yeah i think that's i mean i think that i mean that quote that you were saying i mean just make something truthful and then whatever's inside will come out. I think that that perfectly just, we don't really think about it too much. Honestly, we just make our, we just say, this is what we want to make. And then, um, I think, yeah, it just naturally will come out. I mean, um, and I, I think, yeah, I think that that basically perfectly describes it. Yeah. I think, yeah, it, it, when when you're when you're writing something or when you're you know, when you're directing something um 
you know, you're, you're going to have like a natural inclination if something doesn't feel right to you to like shut it down or if something does feel right to explore it, you know? And so, um, so yeah, naturally you're just, you're just going to want to do that. Um, for us, like in our filmmaking, um, it's not like we, we definitely don't try to, um, ever come down and try and try to tell people like how to, to do something or how to live, right. live their life in right. a certain way. I think some of the most powerful films that have affected our lives have let us think for ourselves, you know, have just kind of pro- like proposed like the situation or the circumstance and, and just kind of let you sit with it for a little bit and let you like um, really kind of come to certain conclusions on your own. And as a result of that, it, I, I think we've realized like it, it, by giving like the audience the power to make a decision for themselves, it becomes a lot more effective because then they own that decision in themselves as opposed to like you telling them how they're supposed to do something or how they're supposed right. to feel. Um, so um, that is something that we are, you know, trying to be pretty conscious of, like, especially when it comes to like our faith, but we do believe like our faith gradually, it, it, it comes out. It might not be in the most like blunt and like over the top, like hitting you on the head, like type of way. But um we feel like it naturally comes out like in our voice and stuff like that. And we're, we're pretty gravitated to stories that, um, and one, our, our good friend, um, L uh, Ginter actually kind of pointed this out to us, which we never really saw before, like in our work, but she kind of mentioned that we're, um, we have like this running theme where, uh, our characters are put in these very like unfortunate circumstances. They're just forced like in these very right. unfortunate circumstances. And, and then they're, they're forced to deal with it in a way that really affects them, you know? Um, so we've kind of real and uh, realized that that that's probably from our up, upbringing, mm-hmm. you know, being like coming from a divorced, like family, having to deal with all that and then coming, being raised by a schizophrenic mother and a lot of other things that have transpired in our lives. Like we just didn't have the control over it. Um, but we're forced to deal with it and, and dealing with it. We affect other people around us. Um, so that kind of became very like apparent, like in the, in the films that we, um, what that we do. And I think along the lines of what you're saying, Christian, with what Solomon had kind of mentioned, I I think it just kind of just comes, it just comes very like, you know, um, uh, either metaphorically, symbolically, um, um, just naturally, I think to, to every filmmaker, I, I think what you your worldview will, will, right. will come out, you know, it, it sort of begs the question of like, you know, is it more important to be, um, is your time better spent becoming a better writer or is your time better spent just becoming a better, like knower of yourself, you know, like someone who just like can, can bring stuff forward through whatever medium they're using, you know? Yeah. I feel like I've, I've met certain people like yeah. that in my life. Um, people who make films, people who don't make films, you know, and they just have this ability to kind of like understand their place in the universe for some reason. I, um, yeah, thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate you guys uh, sharing with us your journey and stuff. And yeah. I hope you guys had fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for, thanks for yeah, having us. Thanks for having us, man. It was a blast. <laughs> this episode was mixed by Christian Strapko. Or as I like to call him, my dear friend, Christian. 
You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at goodthepodcast. Goodbye.